Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago on Hockey podcast, episode number 117 in our weekly series. I'm your host, Rick Cole. Every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip back in time, down memory lane, if you will, and bring you all the hockey news from 50 years ago, exactly as it was reported in the words of some of the greatest sports writers of all time. This week, We're looking at the time period of February 7th to February 13th in 1972. If you like what we do here every day uh, on Twitter and here on the podcast, you can help us out a lot by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to the podcast. Our subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really nice nice stuff and uh, special content uh, where we allow ourselves to dive a little more deeply and greater detail in the stories that were dominating the hockey world 50 years ago. Uh, we have an interesting uh, one coming out right now. For our, It's right out there now for our Patreon subscribers. And I've got one coming up pretty soon where we profile uh, several players who were minor league hockey players who the local papers in those cities featured and, and gave us some good insight into these guys that you really don't see uh, much else. So patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe. And uh, we thank you would get good uh, value for money. It helps us out a lot. Now, personal update uh, myself here, as far as COVID goes, we're improving every day. We're getting there, slow but surely. Uh, this week was kind of a tough one. My my wife Francine's mom passed away Friday morning at the age of 95. Despite the fact she was 95 and visually impaired, uh, her her death came as a great shock, especially to the people at the retirement home where she lived. Uh, she was happy and vibrant right up to the end, in good health, and she just simply went peacefully in her sleep, which is exactly how she wanted it. Uh, she was a very interesting person. French-Canadian lady born in Marbleton in the eastern townships. Uh, she was your quintessential uh French-Canadian matriarch, if you will. Uh, She had uh, lost two husbands in her life, uh, who were, by the way, brothers. It was a very interesting story. There was a blended family that my wife grew up in, and she uh, was a woman who just loved her kids to death 
and loved her grandchildren, my two kids especially, even more. Uh, We're all going to miss her. Uh, She's going to leave a gigantic hole in our hearts, but we are going to carry on because uh, she would literally have kicked our asses if we didn't, and we're going to miss her. So we have a lot of news to get to this week, so we better get at it, as uh, we usually do every week. Now, we're going to give you the standings as they were at the beginning of the week that we're covering. Uh, Eastern Division, Boston uh, starting to run away with things. They now had a nine-point lead, 82-73 to over the New York Rangers. Bruins record of 37-8-8. and And uh, it's a pretty good record, eh? Montreal, third place with 64. The Red Wings, 10 points back now. They've taken over fourth place, a final playoff spot in the East Division. Then we had the Leafs, one back of the Red Wings. And trailing the field, the Canucks and Sabres, now both with 35 points. In the Western Division, it's going to be no contest, as everyone rather would expect it would be. Chicago now with 77 points on a 26-11-5 record, running away with it. The North Stars 14 back with 63 points. Then we have another big drop-off to the last playoff spot. Bit of a dogfight there. The Seals had 45 points, the Blues 44, and the Flyers 41. The Flyers having quite a renaissance after making that eight-player trade with the LA Kings, who, by the way, were in sixth place, four points back of the Flyers, and two points back of the Kings with 35, the lowly Pittsburgh Penguins. And you have no idea what what a rough time Red Kelly was having watching his team basically let him down in front of everybody. He was doing everything a man could do to make that team competitive, but some dogs just won't hunt. Well, the Flyers got the week's news off and running. Uh, both Philadelphia papers that I follow were reporting that defenseman Rick Foley, big guy they got from the Blackhawks in exchange for Andre Lacroix back in October, he had been indefinitely suspended by the team. Flyers coach Fred Ciro said that Foley was being suspended due to, quote, a lack of conditioning and contract conduct detrimental to the team. Uh, In 41 games this season, Rick had scored 7 goals, 16 assists for 23 points. Pretty good offensive numbers. Unfortunately, his defensive work left a lot to be desired on the Flyers' blue line. Uh, Shiro, in in an interview, I think it was with Bill Fleischman of the Daily News, had said, you know, it was so hard to talk to Rick Foley because he's so easy to talk to. uh, Fred said uh, that Foley... Basically, whenever you talk to him, agrees with everything you say. Uh, Shiro said, you know, I think Foley's in the wrong business. He should be a used car salesman, not a hockey player. On February 6, 1972, at The Odd in downtown Buffalo, New York, I was there and I witnessed the Buffalo Sabres' finest moment Enter to that point brief history as they bombed the powerful Boston Bruins eight to two. Now, as the game began, of course the Bruins. You, you know, we always got there. We watched the the uh, pregame warmups and all that, and you just watch Boston having fun, loosey goosey, relaxed. The Sabers, you could tell, were kind of a uh, little uptight going into this game. the The attitude around the odd that night as the game began was. Uh, how bad is it going to be this time against Boston? Uh, as the game went on, uh, 
early in the game, there was no scoring for the first, I think, 14, 15 minutes. You were wondering, my gosh, how many saves is Roger Crozier going to make tonight? He started out sharp as a razor, and he was stopping everything. Boston started to throw him. But the Sabres, incredibly, were holding their own. And by the end of the first period, we're all looking at the scoreboard, which proclaimed that Buffalo was up 3-0 over the Bruins. And, of course, we're all looking at each other saying, is this real? And, And, of course, more to the point, could the Sabres keep this up? By the end of the second period, the scoreboard now read Buffalo 6 Boston won and everybody started bleeding. Maybe, just maybe, this is really one of those magical nights that comes along uh, every few years. And uh, we just uh, couldn't believe, but we thought maybe, maybe this is real. Uh, you know, everybody in the, the building knew that this was the Boston Bruins and the mighty Bostons were entirely capable of scoring five quick goals in a matter of minutes and tying it up. So as the second period ended, even though everybody was kind of uneasily happy, we we were all almost even giddy that we even had a lead of 6-1 over the Bruins, and that was palpable in the odd throughout the entire the entire crowd. It was like, yeah, we like this. It might fall in in the third period, but we were almost afraid to rejoice in the moment because the Bruins were just as likely to destroy the whole thing whenever they decided they wanted to. On this night, though, that was not to be. Roger Crozier, he was his usual acrobatic, spectacular self on goal for Buffalo. But even then, the Sabres outplayed the Bruins. They even outshot them in the in the 16 to 8 in the middle period which is when they were holding such an edge in play we actually started that's when the giddiness i think said and we're saying man this is really a good hockey team we've got here in buffalo that's sabers had scored three times by the way in those 16 shots on poor eddie johnson who was forced by coach tom johnson as was the norm in those days to endure the entire eight goal onslaught through the entire game by the third the giddiness uh, as the time wore on was replaced by absolute joviality in the rink. Everybody was in a party mood. The, cr- the crowd began to clamor for even more goals. Now, as the clock wound down on an incredible evening, the decibel level in the odd rose to an almost unbearable level. The guy in the seats in front of us, whom we'd got to know him, uh, he had season tickets like we did, so we had been at many games with him. He turned around, very uh, uh, stoic kind of guy through most of the games. He had this big grin on his face, and above the din, he, he kind of shouted to us, can you imagine what it's going to be like in here if this team ever wins a playoff series? Now, at that moment, what had been an absurd dream suddenly took on an aura of possibility. Maybe the Sabres could eventually become very... Uh, competitive. There were 15,360 of us plus staff, of course, scouts and reporters at that game, and I don't think anyone who was there would ever forget it. Well, the Ontario Hockey Association Major Junior A League, the league Junior A League I watched uh, in Hamilton, Niagara Falls, and St. Catharines for so much of my teenage years, Uh, They're considering expansion in 1972. No one from the OHA would officially comment on the idea, but several newspapers locally said that applications for OHA Junior A teams had been received from Kingston, Windsor, and way up north 
in Thunder Bay. And we'll have to see how this story unfolds. We had all kinds of NHL trade speculation early in the week, but there was precious little action for most of the week. Lots of talk. Uh, the Penguins and North Stars were both rumored to be really close to making major deals. The, the North Stars, you remember they had the hot start at the beginning of the 71-72 uh, season. Then they cooled off. They were falling behind. They actually thought they had a chance to oust Chicago from first place early in the season. The Stars were playing way over their head but you know sports fans especially hockey fans your team wins four in a row and right away you're one of the greatest teams in all in all of hockey history it's that we're pretty well every every city except maybe oakland where the only ice they know about there is in the bottom of a glass well the Maple police were also uh talking to california about carl vadney so the writers were persisting and they also were rumored to be making a big trade with montreal where people like dave keon and norm Ullman were headed to montreal for a bunch of guys named jean paul that's just how the writers of montreal like to feel the canadians will do when they make any trade there was a minor trade this week the uh St. Louis Blues sent Christian Bordalo to the Chicago Blackhawks, and in exchange, they get center Danny O'Shea, former uh, Canadian national team guy. Good guy, and I don't know why he's moved like he did from Minnesota to Chicago and now St. Louis. To me, he was a pretty good, uh, pretty good center, good third line guy in the NHL. Minnesota North Stars made an announcement this week that right winger Craig Cameron, who's himself moved around a lot in the NHL, he's been out for about two weeks as he went under uh, underwent surgery for, quote, a congenital groin problem. And I'm not even going to speculate what the hell that might mean. Sometimes lower body injury of our present day, 50 years later, is a better descriptor of, of an injury. Here is a bit of a strange story hockey-wise out of the Sapporo Olympic Games going on at the moment, 1972, and this has nothing to do with the results of the hockey competition. The Chicago Blackhawks said that they have placed Ard Schenk of the Netherlands, winner of three Olympic gold medals in speed skating, on their negotiations list. General manager of the Hawks, Tommy Ivan, said it's the idea of Bill Wirtz, club president. Wirtz feels that an athlete and skater like Schenk would be of great value to the Black Hawk organization in a variety of capacities. That sounds like a Wirtz idea. He probably knows that since all the Olympic Olympians are, are amateurs, he'll come cheap. That's what Dollar Bill would tell you. Now, Ivan said the first step, of course, is getting our to come to the United States. So to getting him, the first step is putting him on the negotiation list so we can offer him a paltry amount of money. He didn't say paltry amount, but you know that's what they're going to do. Now, the Blackhawks have done that, so they get first crack in talking them because everybody knows all 14 NHL teams were lined up to get Art Shrink. Here's a, a news item out of Buffalo this week that we're really happy to report on. Didn't have anything to do with the action on the ice. We all, we all really knew this was coming, but it was still good to hear. Punch him lack, they said, was doing well in good spirits, but he was not going to return to coaching the Sabres this season 
if if he would ever return to coaching at all. Uh, he was recuperating at home in Scarborough, and everybody who knew Punch Imlech or knew of him, followed his career, knew that he would be chomping at the bit to get back behind the Sabres bench, and many of us were afraid he would do it too soon to the detriment of his health. But the Sabres said Joe Crozier will continue to coach the team for the rest of the season and that the general manager duties would be handled by uh, assistant general manager Freddie Hunt, Crozier, uh, and the rest of the staff, John Anderson, another one, and uh, they would just take care of business. But you could be uh, absolutely positive that no major player personnel moves would be made without consulting Punch prior to their completion. Here's a story this week that really shook me up, and I think a lot of hockey players as well. It started out that uh, Wednesday morning, a Vancouver newspaper, The Sun actually, reported that Bruce Gamble, the Flyers goalie, uh, took ill after the Flyers defeated the Canucks 3-1 on Tuesday evening. Now, Gamble had played nine of the Flyers' past ten games. Reporters talked to him after the game, and he basically just mumbled his responses. He was obviously feeling unwell, and the trainers... uh, actually were summoned by one of the reporters. It may have been Hal Hal Sigurdsson. I don't know for sure. And uh, trainers were summoned over to Bruce, who who was looking pale, was basically, like I said, mumbling his words, downtrodden, looking looking very uh, uh, weak and uh, not happy at all after performing amazingly well in the the 3-1 Flyers win. So the... uh, uh, trainers had a look at him. He was still in the dressing room when uh, everybody cleared out. But by Wednesday morning, the Flyers flew to flew to Oakland to take on the Seals. Bruce's condition worsened apparently on the plane, and he was taken immediately to Oakland's Merritt Hospital and admitted suffering from an apparent heart attack. Doctors said that contributing factors were Bruce's high blood pressure and all-out exhaustion. He had just played nine of ten games for the Flyers. Now, the doctor said that Bruce would be kept in hospital in Oakland for an undetermined amount of time until it was determined that he would be well enough to travel back to the East Coast, and we were all wishing the best for Bruce Gamble, one of our favorite characters. I would love when he played for the Leafs. He, he Some nights, you couldn't put anything back past him with a shotgun. He was just that good. He he was uh, always very stoic in goal, although his facial expression sometimes uh, belied the stress that he was under. And you could tell that playing the game of hockey meant an awful lot to him, and he just wanted to do well. One of the players who's really been having a great season for the Minnesota North Stars, young defenseman Tom Reed, good Fort Erie boy. I met him years later when he had the Sporting Goods store on Garrison Road, Highway 3 in Fort Erie, which used to be right on the way to the Peace Bridge. Emil Francis describes defenseman Tom Reed as the most improved player in the NHL this season. Now, there was a story making the rounds that Reed was going to be traded to Chicago, even up 
for Keith Magnuson, a tough guy who a lot of people thought really wasn't that good a hockey player. And here's what veteran Doug Moans, who was with the North Stars at this time and had played for the Blackhawks, here's what Doug Moans said about Tom Reed. Doug said that Tom was a very steady player who skates well and concentrates on playing his position. Doug said Magnuson, on the other hand, is the type who'll take a run at you and gamble getting caught out of position once in a while. Reed is as good an all-round hockey player as Magnuson said Moans. He said that Magnuson is a hard worker and very aggressive, but he lacks a little finesse and is not the best at controlling the puck. Moans went on to say Tom can do everything Magnuson can, and he's also better at handling the puck. But he said both of them skate about the same. So there's some nice, uh, nice words about a local guy from my area, Tom Reed of Fort Erie. Well, for the past couple of years, the name Doug Harvey had kind of disappeared from the headlines in the National Hockey League, and we hadn't heard much about what Doug was up to. In a uh, story with no byline, just a star staff reporter, the Montreal Star, uh, they caught up with Doug Harvey to find out just what the all-time great defenseman was up to these days. Uh, the story reads, the sideburns are flecked with gray now, but if the familiar apple-cheeked pixie-like face is unmistakable. And it was just like old times for him, back in the hockey spotlight again, as Doug Harvey, ringed by a group of hungry newsmen, sat and talked in the Quebec Coliseum about his future in the game he loves so much. For Harvey, life has not been exactly a bed of roses since his perennial all-star days and nights with the Montreal Canadiens. Now, after several stabs at coaching and assistant coaching at levels that range all the way from the NHL's New York Rangers to Laval of the Quebec Major Junior A Hockey League, Harvey faces the future with a kind of forlorn hope. His hockey place, he says, now lies in scouting. Doug says, I formed a scouting company with a group of four other fellas and we've sent dealers out to all of the teams in this World Hockey Association plus Atlanta and Long Island in the NHL. Doug says, we're offering our services to anyone who wants to buy them. Keeping with a bit of a post-hockey theme, Hal Sigurdsson of the Vancouver Sun figures that Canucks right winger Ron Stewart acquired early this season in that big trade with the Rangers. He's now in his 20th NHL year. Hal figures that uh, Stewie is probably nearing the end of the line as a player and he makes a logical connection that Ron just might be the ideal coaching candidate for Vancouver's new Seattle Western Hockey League farm team. Uh, Stewart told Sergison that he definitely was interested in such a job should it become available. Ron said, after all, I can't play forever and he ended it with a wink. Chicago Blackhawks superstar Bobby Hull had this interaction with Dana Mosley of the New York Daily News this week. Dana is uh, one of the two hockey men that principally reports on the Rangers. Red Foley is the other. Bobby Hull, after skating at noon this week before their game with uh, the Rangers, said, I'm pulling my hair out trying to get tickets for tonight's game. So many are after them. Yeah, Bobby, uh, People can tell that you've been pulling your hair out a lot. Actually, when you think of it, Bobby had a hair transplant last year. And if he's pulling the hair out now, that's a pretty expensive proposition, isn't it?
Billy Harris is a former NHL star. His best years with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He also played for Detroit, Oakland, and Pittsburgh in the big league. He's now coaching the national team in Sweden. And at the Olympics this week, he said out loud something that everyone uh, keeps quiet, but they all know over in Europe and here as well. Soviet national hockey team players are professionals. Jim Proudfoot was reporting on it. Uh, Proudfoot said that Harris made headlines in the Moscow sports pages describing the Soviet Union's hockey players as out-and-out pros. After his Swedish team defeated Poland 5-3, Russian journalists asked Harris to assess his team's chances for the Olympic championship. Harris had a pretty good reply. Billy said, I feel we've already won the gold medal for the amateurs said a completely deadpan. So, of course, the uh, reporters asked Mr. Harris to elaborate. And here's what Bill said. I think when a man plays and practices hockey for 11 months a year, as the Czechs and the Russians do, then he can properly be described as a professional. Or, if he's not, then I would like to get one of those jobs where there is that much time off so I can play a game. <laughs> well, well, you know what happened. By now, the Russian writers were pretty agitated to put it mildly another wanted to know how the teams here would fit against a north american pro competition billy says that under the right circumstances the russians would be able to defeat the better national hockey league teams and as for the swedes he said they would be handled the we- they would be able to handle the weaker pro clubs such as the toronto maple leafs billy taking a shot at his own employers harris went on to say that in his view the swedish team is about as close as you can get to being a completely amateur squad since every one of the players on the swedish national team hold regular jobs separate from hockey Tim Burke is the relatively new sports editor of the Montreal Gazette. Always, hockey is his big thing. He loves hockey. There's no doubt about that. And every once in a while, he'll just come up with a notes column. And this week, he came up with one, just a bunch of quotes from guys around the NHL and, and pretty interesting stuff. I think I'd like to uh, relate to you a few of these quotes that he came up with. Uh, Jacques Lapierre, five minutes after the Canadians had beaten the Leafs one nothing, with two seconds to go in a game January 19th. Jacques said, I don't know if this one will help us, but that one goal is going to kill Toronto. Toronto's record since that one goal, one win, seven losses, and a tie. Here's one from Henry Richard. This is beautiful. Uh, Henry says, It's no surprise to me that Richard Martin is scoring so many goals this year. He went to my hockey school and I told him, Do what I say, don't do what I do. And of course, Tim Burke follows that up with a quote from Richard Martin. Uh, He's, you know, Richard's got 37 goals at this point in the season. And he says, I guess the best thing I did before coming into the NHL was go to a special camp in Vermont last summer to put on weight and get more strength at the same time. Richard said that for two weeks he ran six miles a day and did special exercises with the surgical tube to expand his breathing and muscle capacity. The exercise, Martin says, gave my muscles room to absorb a special drink called, quote, Hoffman's Formula. Richard says they drank two quarts of it a day, 5,000 calories. It was made up of milk, bananas, honey, peanut butter, and raw eggs. Maybe maybe a little rum in it too. I don't know. It sounds like it. Richard said, that's the biggest milkshake I have ever seen. 
Jerry the Hook Odrowski, known as the Hook. Uh, if you've ever seen a picture of him, I don't have to tell you why. Uh, he's a St. Louis penalty killer, actually one of the best penalty killers in pro hockey. And he says, I owe hockey more than most guys do. My hair started falling out when I was 11 years old because of some vitamin deficiency or something like that and for a while I was very self-conscious about it but then I got really interested in hockey and I was too busy trying to make good to worry about my appearance so I never got uh, complex about it luckily I wasn't a kid today when everybody's so concerned about their hair and especially the length of it in pro hockey. I watched Jack Eagers play junior A hockey in Kitchener. He's now a member of the St. Louis Blues in 1972, having been traded there earlier this season from the Rangers. He was not uh, a a rough player, uh, fighter, anything like that. But here's what he says about fighting in the NHL in 1972, as this somehow justifies everything. He says, when somebody gives you a dirty shot in this league, you have to drop your gloves right away and go after them. That's my policy. Next time around... The guy won't bother you, unless maybe it's Bugsy Watson or John Ferguson. They don't care because they're not afraid of getting beat up by the likes of Jack Eagers. Here's an interesting quote from Jerry Pinder. At this point in the season, the leading scorer on the California Not-So-Golden Seals. Jerry says, I've never dealt with a more wonderful man since I've been in sports than Gary Young, the Seals general manager. I played under Ivan, the Blackhawks GM, and it was really bad. Billy Ray was the same as Ivan, only worse which isn't really the same. Gary Young, he'll do anything he can for the players, and he never breaks his word. Now, right after this, I read a story where uh, they were talking about the trade rumors around Carl Vadney of the Seals. Vadney happened to walk by the reporter that was talking to uh, Gary Young, and uh, Gary Young made it a point to tell Carl Vadney, Carol, don't worry, we're never going to trade you. They can't give us what you're worth. Okay, everyone, the moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, has given new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. That's right. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook's now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a million dollar top prize with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code THPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. You bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. You have to be 21 plus. Some minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for the full list of requirements and state-specific details. Uh, There are responsible gaming resources as well on that site. Check them out. This is void. We're prohibited. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889. 
1-888-789-9789. In Connecticut, you can call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, you call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK, which is 467-369. Brian O'Neill, the uh, quote administrative director of the National Hockey League, number two man basically to uh, Clarence Campbell uh, for a few years, basically thought of that way. Uh, he was asked, "What about the, all this expansion the NHL is doing?" And, and uh, Brian O'Neill says, "Continuing expansion is justified because it's good business. National Hockey League is marketable." Clarence Campbell said, there is an insatiable appetite for hockey. We'll come back to these two guys in a couple years and ask them how this Atlanta thing was going. Somebody asked Scotty Bowman of the Canadians what his thoughts were on Barkley Plager, the Blues defenseman, who I thought was a pretty good player, real wide mean streak, uh, but good puck handler, bit of an offensive flair as well. And they asked him, what do you think of Barkley Plager? Scotty said, if the St. Louis Blues were losing 9 nothing, and you told Barkley Plager that the team could win if they went out and, t- and took on seven guys at once, Bark would leap off the bench and do it without a moment's hesitation. Now, Boston hockey fan, after watching Barkley Flager refusing to go to the clinic after his forehead was open for a nine-stitch cut, and later his chats rattled from the full impact of a Bobby Orr slap shot, this Boston hockey fan said, a baseball player would have been out for a month on each of those injuries. Francis Rosa, the hockey reporter for the Boston Globe, took us along for the ride as he spent a few days with Boston lawyer and high-profile agent Bob Wolf, and, and we'll just tell you a little, bo- little bit about what Francis uh, wrote. He said, five days in January in the life of uh, Bob Wolf, didn't coin the expression, he minted it, read like hectic. Dollar signs dance in his head, hundreds of them. Air miles pile up thousands of them daily. Phone calls are endless, hundreds of them daily. Interviews add up by the tens. For five days of Bob Wolf, they begin on Friday, January 28th. Friday morning, the World Hockey Association called. Uh, Bob said, would I come to Miami to talk about Derek Sanderson? That's Friday morning at 2 p.m. He hops on a plane to Fort Lauderdale and says, my family's there in Hollywood. I'll just surprise them. Maybe I can slip in a little vacation while I talk to the screaming beagles. Wolf boards the plane, winds up sitting alongside Charles Mulcahy, who is the vice president of the Bruins. What a coincidence, Wolf said. I'll shake him up a little and tell him I'm going to Miami to finalize the Derek Sanderson deal. That afternoon, Bob arrived in Miami, goes to where his family is staying, surprises the heck out of them and takes them out for dinner. And that night, he goes over to two non-sports items he's handling. The settlement, he says, of an estate and a prenuptial agreement. I thought prenuptial agreements were a recent thing. 1972, Bob Wolf was handling them. On Saturday the 29th, Manny Lesks, he's a, uh, Manny Leakes, sorry. He's a professional basketball player with the Utah Stars of the ABA. Well, he, this is the kind of thing that agents were dealing with in 72. He was said he'd been traded to the Miami Floridians of the ABA. And Wolf said he had no contract 
with Utah. And he isn't sure he wants to play in Miami. Guys actually were playing with no contract. And you're going to find out about this in the Bernie Perrant uh, mess that took place that uh, ended up with him leaving Toronto. So anyway, Wolf said he had to call the uh, management types in Utah and Florida and see if they could uh, work something out. Right after that, he got a phone call from another of his clients, wide receiver Otto Stowe of the Miami Dolphins. He said <laughs> Stowe was in hospital, this isn't really funny, uh, with hepatitis and said he'd better get shots for himself and his family because he'd been with them at his home a week ago. Saturday afternoon, he spends two hours talking with Herbie Martin and Les Patrick of the Miami Screaming Eagles and you know what that contra- uh, conversation was about. Sunday was a bit of a, an easier day for Bobby. He was thinking mainly about the pro football draft, made a few phone calls. I talked with over 40 people in two days, apparently. Sunday night, he went out to dinner with the family. They managed to cram in a movie, and uh, that was Sunday. Monday, his phone rings early and often again. First, it's Steve Kiner of the Boston Patriots. Told me the charge against him had been dismissed, uh, and that Dwayne Thomas, the football player, now wanted Bob to represent him. Meanwhile, back in Wolf's office, back in Boston, uh, Thomas is, is among the 150 phone calls that have come in that would have to be answered at some point. But Wolf says, I don't know how I'm going to talk to Dwayne Thomas. He never left his phone number. Who'd be surprised about that? And here's another uh, typical thing the Buffalo Bills called him and said that they were going to take Walt Potulski with the first overall pick in the National Football League draft, and they wanted to know if Bob would let him fly to Buffalo for a press conference on Tuesday. Bob, by the way, said, okay, Potulski is one of Wolf's clients. Bob did say that he, he gets some pretty uh, flattering and gratifying moments. Otis Taylor called Bob while he's in Florida. Now, he's probably at this time the best wide receiver in professional football, and he called Bob to say that he he wants Wolf to do his contract. Bob said, you know, that's really pretty flattering. Wolf described Tuesday as an unbelievable day. He says, first, Potulski's drafted number one by Buffalo. Second, Sherman White drafted number two. Wolf represents him. Going third, Lionel Antoine. Antoine? is drafted number three, and he says, I might be representing him too. I don't quite know yet. Altogether, Wolf might have eight first-round draft choices. On Wednesday, Bob says, you know, I'm finding more and more that I'm talking to myself these days. And then he did a 30-minute taped interview with Howard Cassell and said, geez, maybe it's better if I do talk to myself. Sherman White called from Cincinnati and says he'll meet with Wolf in Boston on Thursday when he gets back. Then Bob Walk, uh, works in four more radio and television interviews and another with Sports Illustrated magaz- magazine. And Bob says that's about all we've done this week. It's actually been pretty quiet. Francis Rosa was completely exhausted. Maple Leafs goalie Jacques Plante has one of the more interesting salary structures in professional sports. Jacques is the oldest player in the NHL and he has yet to collect a penny in pay for his two years of tending goal for St. Louis and his two years 
with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, Jacques worked out a special salary deferment plan with both teams. He won't begin to receive his St. Louis salary until 1973, and his Toronto pay won't kick in until 1981. In the meantime, Jacques is living quite comfortably on income from the three apartment buildings he owns in Montreal and his factory, which manufactures face masks for goalkeepers. Uh, both uh, Bernie Prant and Jacques were wearing those masks those days. I, I got one of those Futuramic masks as soon as they were available. And I have to tell you, uh, the vision, the way they, they constructed those masks to fit more closely around the eyes, that was the best mask I ever had for vision. It was amazing. Uh, it still hurt because they were form-fitting and I didn't like putting the foam rubber inside because it moved it away from your eyes and you couldn't see as well. But those masks were truly amazing and I never had one crack in all the time I had them. I think you're going to see more of this deferred salary plan in the NHL because this uh, really does offer athletes a very lucrative tax break. This Thursday... Anatoly Tarasov, coach of the defending Olympic champion Russian hockey team, said that it's not only his wish to have open hockey contests, but it's the wishes of the Soviet Union Hockey Federation. Tarasov said, I would like to say it's not just the personal attention of Mr. Uh, of myself, but it's also the Federation to, wants to arrange a series of games through the International Ice Hockey Federation. Now, he says that it's going to be between uh, the Russian amateurs and the North American professionals, and they must be on equal conditions. And that is to say, we both have to accept equal rules for both professional and amateur alike. The Russian coach emphasized that any exhibition or tournament in which both his Russian team and the NHL were involved must be through conditions arranged by the IIHF, of course, run by A.J. Bunny Ahern, and of course, President Clarence Campbell would be allowed to be involved as well. Tarasov said millions of people in this world have an interest in games between professionals and amateurs. Okay, we have a lot of World Hockey Association news. This was a pretty uh, newsworthy week in the founding of this league, so let's let's give you all those updates now. Uh, first in the week, uh, the New York team announced its first general manager, and I certainly didn't have this name on my WHA bingo card. The man that was chosen by lawyer, 33-year-old New York lawyer Tim Wood, to lead New York's first WHA team. His name was Marvin Milks. If that name is a little familiar to you, it was familiar to me because I knew that he was the former vice president and general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers Professional Baseball Club. Now he gets a chance to try his hand at hockey. Okay, that ought to be interesting. The New England Whalers named a fellow named Art Dumphy as director of public relations. Right away when I heard the name Dumphy, the first person I thought of was the legendary boxing uh, broadcaster, Don Dumphy, but it wasn't him. Uh, Don Dumphy is the 
People in Boston knew who he was. He was the former sports information director of Boston University, where, of course, he worked with general manager, coach of the Whalers, Jack Kelly. And more from the Whalers, they they didn't seem at this point to have a place to play yet. Talks had been held with Boston Garden, but that locale was definitely just a stopgap temporary measure at best. Howard Baldwin, the, the Whalers president, was looking to places like Foxborough and a few other communities to discuss sites upon which they could build a new big league rink. And there was uh, certainly more to come uh, on that front in the coming weeks. On Wednesday, a story came out from the Montreal Gazette, uh, in, in, actually the, the dateline was in Quebec City, that that city would know Thursday whether it's going to get a franchise in the WHA. Marius Forche, representing a group of Quebec City businessmen, actually had traveled to Los Angeles. He met with WHA officials, and he said that a price had been agreed on for the purchase of the San Francisco franchise, and the decision was going to be made by Thursday night because the league's player draft starts on Saturday. Montreal Star also carried a similar story, and uh, they spoke to Forche at well, and they said that... Uh, when Forche came back from California, he said that he'd had really good talks with Gary Davidson, the president of the WHA. And so the uh, franchise representatives, a group of Quebec businessmen, immediately hopped on a plane for Los Angeles. They were going to meet again with Davidson to negotiate a contract. Now, Forche went on to say that at the meeting that they'd had with the, uh, earlier, it was decided that all the demands for a winning franchise could be met and that a group was ready to accept all terms that the league was dictating. The San Francisco franchise holders said that they wanted to withdraw because they didn't expect that they would be able to draw enough hockey fans in the Bay Area and uh, there would be a little prospect of making any money and they cited the Oakland Seals as the prime example. Now by the weekend we did learn that the San Francisco franchise was in fact sold to the Quebec businessmen and although the team was yet unnamed it was announced that they would play out of La Colisée in Quebec City. A rumor out of uh, Edmonton that seemed to be gaining some legs this week had Vancouver Canucks coach Hal Lako mulling over an offer from the WHA Edmonton team. Bill Hunter apparently made an offer that he wanted Lako to run the professional hockey operation along with Bill, of course. Bill would have his hand on everything. Lako was tracked down by Boston sports writers to whom he responded he hadn't even talked to Bill Hunter, didn't even really know him that well. But he didn't say they hadn't talked to anybody else, so maybe there's just coming from somewhere. The Edmonton team did make an addition this week to their staff. They spirited Scout Chuck Caddo away from the California Golden Seals. Chuck had been the chief scout for Charlie Finley's Seals. The unnamed Dayton, Ohio WHA team was all excited about the WHA draft coming up this weekend. Uh, the draft, by the way, is in Anaheim, California, right next door to Disneyland, and that somehow seemed quite appropriate. The local papers in, in Dayton were telling us who the team plans on drafting. They all figured the number one target for their team that they want to build around is Maple Leaf forward Key Trache. 
Bill Deneen, who's the coach of the Dayton team, is the guy most likely to do all the selecting because basically they don't have anybody else in the organization who's got any hockey acumen at all. Bill, if Guy Trottier is your big star, best you lower your uh, hopes for financial and aesthetic success. Harry Sinden told Will McDonough of the Boston Globe that before they hired Jack Kelly as GM coach, the Whalers had offered the job to him and he politely but quickly turned the offer down. Harry didn't seem to have much faith in the WHA. Now another WHA story, Frank Boucher. Uh, Frank Boucher is one of the all-time NHL greats and if you don't know that, Google is your friend. Look him up. Frank is one of the most respected former players, especially when he gives his opinions on hockey and the state of the game in general. Ottawa sports columnist Bill Westwick asked Frank what his thoughts were about this new World Hockey Association thing. With, of course, a team going to be landing in Ottawa, Bill wanted to have a very strong opinion from someone who knows the sport and the business. Frank Boucher is that guy. Without mincing words... This hot member of Hockey's Hall of Fame suggests that both the National Hockey League players, juniors, and parents of juniors should, quote, beware the WHA. He suggests that a misguided look at money offers could well lead both NHL players as well as juniors into moves which he considers dead wrong. He deals with the pensions enjoyed by the NHL players to the parents of young players and states flatly, I would advise all junior and pro players to be very wary indeed. And to the parents of all juniors, I would just say beware. He gives the new league three years and he says if it doesn't fall apart, then junior hockey and the NHL are going to suffer serious consequences. Frank went on to say, I have a very strong feeling that the Canadian government might have to step in and create certain laws which would have the effect of guarding against young Canadians being exploited. I would strongly urge that this be done immediately before a lot of youngsters get hurt. As the week ended, the uh, WHA completed the the first phase of its mammoth 82 scheduled rounds of player drafting. Now, this is... uh this is pretty interesting, and I'll talk about the draft in a minute because as this was all starting to happen, word broke out that the first National Hockey League player to agree had agreed to a contract with the WHA team. That player was Toronto Maple Leafs goalkeeper Bernie Perrant. Uh, he was supposedly accepting a $600,000 a year, or sorry, $600,000 total agreement for five years with the Miami Screaming Eagles. There had been rumors about this. No one was commenting at this point in time on the weekend. But this kind of came out just as the uh, drafting session started. Now, how they did it in like uh, two phases. It was really pretty interesting. The Friday session was a pre-draft selection process where the WHA teams named four players, mostly NHL players, but not all, and they would be on their negotiation list going into Saturday's main drafting session. Now, uh, 
here are some of the names that came from that. And we're also going to report next week on the entire draft because that's going to need a whole session all by itself almost. There's just too much to talk about here. And the draft, actually, all the news didn't come out until the next week starts. We're going to get into greater detail in our overtime sessions for our Patreon subscribers. And if you're really interested in the history of the WHA and a little more detailed reporting from some of the cities involved, uh, it's a good idea to subscribe to it because we're going to have a lot of stuff you're not going to find anywhere else. Now, here are some of the... uh, uh, negotiation list. The Calgary Broncos. Now you remember they said Miami could not talk to Bernie Perrant because he was a uh, uh, property of them. Well, that was a lot of BS from Scotty Monroe. They hadn't formally uh, made the official these negotiation lists. So they had on their negotiation list uh, Barry Gibbs of the North Stars, Jimmy Harrison of the Maple Police, Dale Hogason of the Habs, and goalie Jack Norris from the Western Hockey League Seattle. Chicago Cougars, as one might think, went after some Blackhawks, Stan Makita, Jerry Corab, and Gary Smith, and Jim McKenney of the Leafs. And Dayton, as we mentioned, they had Guy Trotche on their list, along with Andre Hines, uh, Larry Lund and Wayne Rutledge, hardly household names, but then again, Dayton is a hardly household name city, isn't it? Edmonton Oil Kings had some very interesting they were uh, names. They're setting their sights high. Normie Ullman of the Leafs, Bobby Clark of the Flyers, Bruce McGregor of the Rangers, and Phil Meir of Canadians. The LA Sharks had Ken Dryden and Gilbert Perot heading their list along with Matt Ravlich and somebody named Steve Sutherland of Port Huron of the International League. The Screaming Eagles, Bernie Perron, of course, Derek Sanderson, of course, along with Jude Druin and Bill White. Minnesota Fighting Saints, well, they had Pete Mahovlich of the Canadians along with Bill Goldsworthy of the North Stars, the only Vancouver Canuck on this list, Dale Talon, and the U.S. Olympic goalie Mike Curran. New York, Jerry Desjardins of the Blackhawks. And then, in a very interesting move, they did not take NHL stars. They took the entire Toronto Marlboros Junior A line of Dave Gardner, Billy Harris, and Steve Shutt. New England went for hometown boy Bobby Sheehan, along with uh, Bruins goalie Eddie Johnson, a Leaf defenseman Ricky Lee, and Larry Plow the Habs. The Ontario team, I was completely particularly interested in this Doug Favela the Flyers Dave Keon of the Leafs Brad Park of the Rangers and for comic relief Eddie Shack of the Sabres Quebec City had no surprise actually a bit of a surprise took three French Canadian players and one who wasn't that really shocked me Jules Villemire of the Rangers Guy Lapointe of Montreal Jacques Lemaire of Montreal and Johnny McKenzie of the Bruins and finally the Jets Bobby Hull, of course, was their number one guy. Ted Green, a hometown boy, who said he didn't know if he wanted to play in his hometown. They also took Teddy Irvin of the Rangers and Ernie Wakely, although the WHA lists him as Bernie Wakely of the St. Louis Blues. 
And a couple more WHA notes. Uh, Billy Harris said he'd received job offers from both of the California franchises before San Francisco shifted to Quebec, but he had turned them down, wasn't interested in working there, very happy in Sweden. And the Ottawa Citizen reported that the Ontario franchise had in fact signed a three-year lease with the management team of the Civic Center Arena in Ottawa, but they weren't going to announce it until after the WHA draft had been completed. But in an interesting twist, Mayor Vic Cops of Hamilton came forward and told Ontario team owner Doug Michelle that the city would build a new $5 million rink to house the WHA team if Michelle would agree to sign a 10-year lease guaranteeing half a million dollars a year in rent. The name of the Ottawa team, however, was revealed. They would be called the Nationals, and they would not be signing a lease in any rink that was not yet built in Hamilton. So that's a pretty busy week we've just recapped for you. What did we learn this time around? Well, we got a little insight into the life of prominent sports agent Bob Wolf, a pretty busy guy. We had a weird story where the Blackhawks placed Olympian Carl Schranz on their negotiation list. Uh, we heard a bunch of interesting quotes from NHL folks that just tells you uh, what the thinking was around the NHL in 1972 and the New York WHA team in what's been a very strange founding of that league made a very weird choice for the first general manager. So we have uh, some stories we're working on for next week's show. Well, of course, we're going to have the full details of the WHA draft and the whole story on the Bernie Perrant situation with Miami and Toronto. Uh, we're going to find out that Bobby Hull is going to confirm something that pretty well everybody else knows. And... We're going to find out uh, a few more identities of people that are going to take over, take over WHA teams and some of the real surprising choices of that WHA draft. And some of them, uh, they're just going to blow you away. In fact, when the Hamilton Spectator published the entire listing of the WHA draft, the headline read, check this out, is your name here? I was actually looking for my own name because there were people on those lists that I knew pretty well that were getting drafted. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by my son Andy Cole. I can't thank him enough for all his hard work. This doesn't, just doesn't happen if Andy isn't uh, around to help me out. Uh, he's now producing podcasts as well. If you're ever thinking of starting one up, get hold of me. I'll hook you up. He is a true media professional. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, of whom my daughter Amy is a uh, backup singer, a multi-instrumentalist, uh, and almost the conscience of the band, some have told me. she provide, They provide the introduction uh, and exit music. They're going on tour this summer. If you get a chance to see them live, they'll be touring the United States. They put on a great high-energy show. Other musical pieces and sound effects in the show are by Andy Cole. Research comes from files of the Toronto Star, Toronto Global Mail, and, of course, the many publications found at newspapers.com, one of our sponsors. And don't forget our other sponsor, the Breakwell Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. And if you ever get to Port Coburn, please look me up. We'll go for a beer and a burger at the Breakwall. 
You can find us on Twitter every day at at Hockey 50 Years, on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago on Hockey banner. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com, and right here on the Hockey Podcast Network or through your favorite po- uh, podcast app every week. Thanks again for everyone's following the show. What an interesting year that uh, 1972 is going to be. We will be with you all the way if you'll follow along with us. And on that note, we will see you next time. When the ice